1: Uh, My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from food addiction. I'd like to welcome Sally and Justin to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi.
0: Hi.
2: Hi there.
1: Um, As members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, they're going to share their experience with food addiction and how food addicts has helped them. Um, Now, we usually start talking about growing up. Uh, Growing up's a very formative part of our lives. Um, And so just you know as a kid what what's your first sort of recollection of of food being something important to you and and then i guess you know how did how did your sort of food addiction start sure Sally.
0: yeah hi. <laughs> um yeah look i mean i think um i didn't think there was a problem until i was probably about 14 and that would have been because up until then, it didn't really show up on the outside of my body much. So um, it was only when I was fourteen I sort of started putting on weight um, and things like that. And then, but when I look back, I can definitely see that. Yeah, when I was a very young child, I would you know get up really early and climb up on the bench um, before my parents were up and eat you know um, sugar products just out of the jar and and um, just yeah whatever I could get my hands on pretty much. Uh, and that felt normal to me. I thought that's probably just what kids do. Um, and yeah, so sugar was always kind of an exciting thing for me as a child. But I thought that was probably pretty pretty regular at, at the time. That's what I thought, anyway. And um, and then yeah, it was only when I was about yeah fourteen, um, I'd get junk food every day on the way home from school. And again, I thought that's isn't that what every kid does? Um, but it was more um, yeah, I, I probably. Possibly, I did purchase more than others. Maybe I do remember the milk bar saying that to me. <laughs> they said, "Is that all for you?" And I remember being very angry at them for that. Um, yeah, and it and it just started to yeah, show up on the outside.
1: Right. Yeah. So, what was? Were you treated differently inside your family?
0: yeah yeah I think I definitely was once that started to happen um and we all kind of fought as kids anyway um but unfortunately that provided a, a new piece of material um so yeah my brother would definitely tease me for um for my size and um I wasn't like huge I was probably f- size fourteen maybe um but yeah I just um they all like had normal size bodies and stuff and um I yeah and it it just kind of I just felt like I had no control over it, so yeah, definitely did become a uh, a point when yeah, when fights would flare up. That was like the ultimate thing and my brother could get me for, and I couldn't say anything about it. You right. know.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, how about your your family life? Were your parents normal?
0: Um, look, my mum at the time I thought that they were. Um, when the food thing started to kick in, um, it was a time when my it was at the time that my parents were splitting up. um... I actually thought my dad was possibly alcoholic at the time and maybe, I don't know if he is or not, but um, he was drinking a lot and sort of disappearing and stuff. And then my mum seemed like the regular one, but then when they split up, she quite possibly um, became an alcoholic and then my dad sort of became a bit more normal. So yeah, I think um, the, that sort of family disease kind of thing was already in the family and um Yeah.
1: Okay. So did you start dieting at an early age?
0: Yeah, very much so. So at 14, when the, were the weights that I'd come on, I definitely, my dad would, um, yeah, show me diets cause he was also trying to lose weight. And so he'd say, Hey, why don't you try this or we'll do it together and that sort of thing. And, um, Yeah, and I would do all the really crazy fad things um, that usually wouldn't last more than a week. Um, And sometimes, yeah, I would lose weight. Um, Being young, I probably would lose quite a bit in a week. And then it just – I'd come off it and I just wanted to do everything that I didn't do for that week and I'd pretty much go double from, you know, just (laughs) eat twice as much as I did before.
1: (laughs) Surprise, surprise, put on weight. (laughs) Yeah. So what was it like at school then?
0: Yeah, um, so generally – um, it definitely wasn't like the popular one. I was about medium, <laughs> um, but yes, like when my size changed, um, yeah, I did get comments. Um, not like a whole lot, but enough that it just was like a absolute like a an arrow to me. Um, and yeah, generally from boys. None of the girls um, picked on me that I was aware of. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well that's positive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, okay, Justin, um, how about yourself? What was what was your early childhood like?
2: My early childhood was. Um, There were no problems, so to speak, of, and in terms of food addiction, I really had no idea that I was a food addict until until I really hit probably 35 years of age, Um, so I grew up a very privileged life, Um, but I had um, two obese parents, and that was the backdrop, so the household was full of um, unhealthy food and not great eating habits, and I certainly grew up loving um, all sorts of sweet foods, and I needed... I remember Mum trying to feed me healthy food like vegetables and, <laughs> yeah. and proteins, and it was like no, that doesn't it doesn't taste any good. It doesn't do anything for me. It was kind of like what I used to feel, and and that's that's probably the, the, the recollection of food had to do something for me from a very young age. And um, you know, like Sally mentioned before, like sweets were, were, were it. I needed food, and I found myself as having. Copious amounts of, of sweets and chocolates and ice cream were like my absolute. I, I could eat truckloads of it um, from, from any age. And I, I guess I had um, the ability to do that and it wouldn't show up. Right. Um, yeah. I was a little bit chubby going through school, um, but really it didn't, it didn't hit me um, physically until I was probably 18 or 19 years of age and it really caught up on me.
1: Okay. So we're quite active.
2: Yeah, very active. I yeah. uh, did a lot of sport. Um, Were you a uh, gym junkie too? Not a gym junkie. I yeah. got I got there um, yeah. again when I, when I got into university. That's when I started to to really get into intense exercise, and that was a pattern that was created over my life. Where um, what I what I would do would play games, and starting to notice again the backdrop of being scared about looking like my parents and being obese. I would kick I'd kick into action. I'd go and do either some intense exercise regime or a gym um, regime and I'd be able to get my weight down to the right level and it's almost like literally when I got to that right level of weight I'd like exhale now (laughs) I'd relax and literally the whole the whole bad all the bad habits would 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 come in again and I'd be climbing (laughs) the scale again in weight and that was the roller coaster I rode really until I found FA so um not much fun. Okay. Yeah. So what was it like in relationships for you then? Um, my relationships, this is, this is, I guess, the challenge of my, my food addiction, that um, in active addiction, all my relationships seemed to be okay. And even the ones that were broken weren't my fault. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was everyone else's fault. So the world owed me in every way. So um, I basically had done nothing wrong. Um, um, until I got to a point where I felt so broken and in the program in FA what I do is I have a really good honest look at my relationships and and the wreckage that I've caused in those relationships and thank God I can now see that yeah. um, and see those things but I, I, I was totally blind and that's I guess the challenge with being a food addict for me is that I was so blind to what was the reality and how I was really feeling and what was happening with those relationships. But um, I guess I'll share that before I came into this program, I was not talking to my parents. I wasn't talking to my siblings. Um, I had three children um, and a wife. The marriage was in, in not great shape. I didn't want to see my kids. My fr- My friends would call me on the phone and I wouldn't want to speak to them. So... That's you know, I was at work and I was managing a lot of people, responsible roles and I was not a great manager. I wasn't good to be around. Yeah.
1: So. I, I think that's what the denial hmm. is. It's it's two things. It's always someone else's fault and there isn't a problem. <laughs> I think <laughs> exactly. that's the that's the hallmark of any sort of addiction. Yeah. Um so back to you, Sally, um so how did how did things change then while you were at school? What what sort of things occurred.
0: Yeah, so um, I ended up changing schools when I was about 15. Um, and then, yeah, a new school, it uh, was a public school, and I just um, got a bit more rebellious. Um, and then I just yeah, went to sort of um, drugs, alcohol, um, you know, getting involved with guys. Um, and then... All of a sudden, you know, for me at the time, yay, the weight came off, but it wasn't because I went healthy. It was just because um the drugs made me get slimmer. So, yeah. and then it wasn't focusing on the food because I had all that other stuff going on. So, um, yeah, it seemed like a success though <laughs> at the time because I was like, yay, I'm finally slim. But um, it wasn't, um, yeah, wasn't healthy.
1: Wasn't sustainable. No. no. <laughs> so how did? What happened?
0: Um, so then, um, yeah, look, thank you God. You know, years later, well, I came off the drugs at eighteen. And then years later, I came into AA when I was twenty-eight, and um, uh, yeah, I was um, yeah, great, re- greatly relieved. Um, but then the food stuff kind of came back. Um, so everything that I'd been using before to cover it up um, was gone and um, yeah I just started eating more again Um, but yeah I mean I will mention that during that time before when I was doing drugs and alcohol and things um, sometimes I wasn't eating enough so I actually did also go through a period where I was like probably underweight and um, and like losing weight even when I didn't want to lose weight and that was quite frightening too so I definitely have both Sides of the disease, I think, of the having too much food, and then also possibly like the anorexia kind of stuff. Okay.
1: Mm. Right. Um, so just to take you back to the AA thing. So mm. why did why why AA?
0: Um, because my um, sorry, my yeah, my drinking was. Um, uh, very unpredictable. I, I remember at the time thinking it was like Russian roulette. I definitely didn't do it every day and that's why I didn't think that that's where I needed to be. But then I realised every time I did do it, it was um, it could end up with me falling asleep on my doorstep without ever actually coming inside um, or just waking up in the morning having absolutely no idea how I even got home. Um, and that became pretty frequent. That was almost, yeah, impossible to drink without blacking, uh, blacking out. And, um, and my relationships... Um, just all over like whether it's friendships housemate um any guy I was going out with would usually break up usually because of alcohol but I didn't think that was the issue right okay mm. <laughs>
1: um so in AA what what changed for you then once you identified what the problem was
0: mm-hmm. um that you uh, sorry with AA recovery you mean or? yeah Or well just yeah.
1: yeah just the realization that yeah that I guess it's to me. It's yeah. the understanding of what the problem is. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And then that was a huge that was huge relief. And walking in and having identification with the rest of the group and realizing, oh wow, I'm I'm home um, in that particular meeting to start with. And um, and then and then I did, yeah. I guess start working on the steps and everything. And um, and yeah, and then it all just um, helped so much. Yeah.
1: So what did you notice once you got the alcohol under control?
0: Yeah. The, look, the food stuff. I first started. Eating more, which, um, and definitely eating more sugar. And, um, I, you know, I had, uh, peers in AA who said, Oh, that's normal. That's fine. It even says it in the big book that, you know, eat more sugar. It's good for you and it'll stop you from drinking. So I was like, Okay, all right. But something in the back of my mind Mm. thought, I don't like this is all right for me. Um, and yeah, I was eating until I was feeling sick at night, like I wanted to throw up. And, um, I remember just thinking, Wow, now I'm just like, um, an addict again, but now it's with this. And, Um, it was, and I just had no control over it. I had no control over, I couldn't just decide I was only going to eat half that thing, half that packet and half, or two pieces of that thing. I just had to finish everything that was in front of me. Yeah. Okay. Scary Mm. stuff. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Um, Justin, so you, um, you're putting on more weight, exercising, so relationships and family, how was that going?
2: Well, I. I it was It was a period of probably uh, fifteen years of um having enormous amount of ambition um, and drive to succeed um, and nothing seemingly was ever enough, so it was um being in a a job and seeing a promotion opportunity and getting the promotion opportunity and getting excited for five minutes and then feeling well that's not enough or it was um you know, buying our first house, um, and uh, all of a sudden you know, two bedrooms is not big enough, I need three, and then three bedrooms with a small courtyard is not big enough, so I need a bigger backyard or whatever. Like nothing in my life was ever enough. Um, so what happened for me was um, the frustration, that, that fear, doubt, and insecurity that I had with everything, like not having enough. It came out sideways with everybody that I loved effectively. So with my wife um, in particular, um, the heart of my food addiction with two children. Um, I mentioned my parents. So they were the people who um, effectively, when I I go to sleep and I wake up the next day, they're all there still. Um, But it's my friends and the sort of periphery in my life that I would behave for i would like massage and i would put on that facade for and um they're the relationships that I, you know and acquaintances they're the ones that i really worked hard at yep. so i had a very big network of people that i it took them a lot of energy and effort to keep to keep them up to date but the ones that that i love now that mattered, now that mattered <laughs> yeah. i would absolutely yeah. neglect them um and, and abuse them, certainly emotionally. Um, there was a lot of emotional abuse and baggage and, and um, a lot of resentment. Um, but really, in the end, it was a reflection of, of me not feeling like I was adequate at all. And I come from a huge sense of inadequacy, like just never being enough. Um, and and you know, to bring it back to, to my addiction, that's, that's where food is just so easy to go and grab. Um, it's everywhere and it's anywhere and it comes in so many different forms yeah. that deals with depression or elation and ev- and everything in between and it's so easy and hey, I'm an adult, right? And I've got some money so I can yeah. go and get it whenever I want, wherever I want it, right? And, and, and the challenge for me was I loved it so much. It made me feel so euphoric that I just keep having it all the time and the minute that I felt that that euphoria come off i'd go and get more of that food and it was uh, you know seven liters of coca-cola a day um you know and the mixture of you know chocolate bars with you know coke zero and cereals that seemingly sound really healthy but are just loaded with sugar like and i just needed that stuff I'd fight for it, like I couldn't concentrate in life without it, like it was, it's that next shiny object that I need to consume. It was, was all-encompassing.
1: Yep. So I, I think earlier when we were discussing, you talked about food as a sedative. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that?
2: Yeah, sure. I, um, I'll link it back to that, where I come from, huge amounts of inadequacy. Um, and I would go to bed at night feeling so less than, feeling so... Um, yeah, just so unfulfilled, um, and I'd wake up feeling the same way, and the only way that I could get through a day um, was, was that, and the challenge was, um, I grew up with no emotional vocabulary, so um, I remember going to talk to my mum about how I felt, I always thought I was ugly, and um, uh, I thought that I wasn't as popular as what I should have been, and my mum was like, "You're fine. You're beautiful." Like, so even even the emotions that I tried to raise with my mother, it was, and again, not through her fault. It was just she wasn't able to deal with it and give me what I needed. So I, I grew up hiding and not knowing my emotions. So, so the, the 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 power of my drug of food was that I didn't have to know my emotions. I just there was a subconscious trigger. That when I felt inadequate or I felt scared about something, autopilot took me to whichever food substance was going to do it for me in that moment. And typically it was a calm down, right? It was typically like just trying to bring myself um, away from some depression or some anxiety of some sort and it would just sedate me.
1: Okay, right. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kHz on your AM dial, and 3CR on your digital radio. We have some podcasts of the show available at 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree, and they're also available on iTunes. If you've got a question or a comment about the show, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter with the handle of at 3CR Living Free. Uh, we have a community service announcement about Overdose Awareness Day, which is on tomorrow, 31st of August. I'll just play that for you.
0: International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August. It is a day to raise awareness of overdose, reduce the stigma of drug-related death, and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died. With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspective from the fields of research, service delivery, and most importantly, peers in the community.
1: Um, I'm talking with um, Sally and Justin about being a food addict and recovery through the organisation Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Um, so back to you, Sally. Um, I think when we finish talking before we were talking about you know getting into ai and starting to realize that once your drinking was under control your eating became a problem so what sort of things happened and what were the sort of circumstances around your awakening to the the new the new problem
0: sure um yeah i definitely at first just recognized that i was um eating more and that i felt like i said i had no control i couldn't put the food down particularly yeah sugar and flour i guess in hindsight um then I went into OA um, and I um, gave that a go for a few years um, and it kind of helped a little bit. Um, I, at the same time, like I was recognising that, um, yeah, I did definitely do the overeating thing, but I also um, had a desire to undereat, and I think I still had those memories of being picked on and teased as a child and I just wanted to control that um, and I thought the ultimate way would be to not eat at all. So I wished that that was a possibility at times, yeah.
1: Okay, yeah. Mm. So, yeah, so you can do the extremes. You just can't take middle road. No, yeah. no middle <laughs> road.
0: <laughs>
1: um, so were you dieting and things what were you doing to control it's a, it's a good yeah.
0: point um i i think i'd given up on the diets after probably 16 um but yeah i think i'd started to create all sorts of other things in my head like um i would maybe try to be vegetarian think that would help me lose weight i would try not eating wheat i thought that maybe was the main issue um in oa i guess i was just trying not to have sugar um but then my quantities were kind of all over the place anyway um the minute I'd sort of come off something, if it was like, let's say, sugar, then I'd turn to all the pseudo-sugar things. Or if I came off wheat, I'd, I'd had every other flour product under the sun that wasn't wheat. Um, oh. So I would just – there was just so many loopholes. And um, and the guilt and the fear around food was just increasing and increasing. And so the food that I was eating was becoming more limited and it just consumed my thoughts, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, so, Justin um, – I think we're, earlier we were talking about, you know, using food as a sedative and stuff like that and, you know, work and home being problematic. So did your family identify you
2: had a problem? I, I don't think so. Um, I think most people still think I don't have a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I only carried only um, 22 kilos more than I am now. So yep. I'm 79 kilos. I was and two hundred and one hundred two kilos and um so i didn't look i just looked like a thick set kind of guy um pretty normal um in in sort of in today's day and age um but no one knew what i was going through emotionally no one had any idea and like i said i had no one i could share it with um the first the first Person to really understand it was when I went to a psychotherapist to deal with a gambling addiction, um, and and I had a chance to really open up about how I felt, but no one thought I had a problem. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Um. So, <clears throat> did your wife eat similarly to you? Was it? Was that an issue? Or? So,
2: so my wife um, actually is in in food addicts and recovery anonymous as well. Um, she led me into this program because I would never have gone to have a look for it. I was too too arrogant to do that. Um, so my wife um, typically um, had what I ate, but also her story is she had thought, lot, tried lots of different things. Um, but typically we would eat more or less the same types of things. We'd go out to the same restaurants, um, enjoyed the same types of foods, um, so very similar um, she, uh, she definitely knew uh, that I had a problem once she had dealt with her started dealing with her food addiction as well though.
1: Okay, right. So, so food was obviously a powerful source in your life. Mm-hmm. So what of things did you use it for?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, um, for me, my body image was one side of it. So I thought that I needed to look good. To impress people, so being in the right size body and even the memory of, of uh, my parents and their obesity was enough to really try and scare me into getting into a healthy body. So that was one part of it, obsessing around around my body image. Um, but then I had my food addiction, which was I needed certain foods to deal with those issues I mentioned before of inadequacy, fear, and doubt um not feeling loved um by anyone and just not feeling satisfied about anything so I needed food to take those feelings away from me so it was this is the whole craziness of of my addiction was I wanted to be in I wanted more de- most desperately to be in a healthy body and look good to impress people but I obviously wanted the food more because and it wasn't healthy food it was it was really rubbish food it was chocolate um and ice cream which is like i could eat truckloads of it um at any time um and not worry about i tried to have one of them but never it was never one it was a bowl or a it was a carton of things right so it just had it's totally powerless so here i go i'm trying to look good but i couldn't help eat these foods um, and it was a vicious cycle that I set up where I would feel bad, I'd feel inadequate, I'd feel fear of some sort, and I knew that food um, would take that away from me and I'd feel better. And then I'd kick my own backside because, hold on, you're meant to be in a healthy body. Why are you doing that to yourself? Mm. I'd kick my backside, I'd feel bad about it, and I'd need more food to yeah. fix it, right? <laughs> so I was on a hiding to nothing, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. So what what sort of things, how did you use food as, you know, in to I guess compensate for
2: the way you're feeling what sort of things did you do well it was literally I said you know the the copious drinking of of coca-cola for example it was going home knowing that I'm going home for a a healthy a meal that I asked my wife to make which I was healthy um and coming home to the stresses of my household and not being able to drive past fast food restaurants and stop um, so I used food to calm me down as I as I got home. I might have come out of a really intense meeting at work and just felt like I should have said this or I should have done that, I could have done this or I could have done that and I needed something to calm me down. Um, that was it. And, and again, but that was the other side was managing my body image. So extreme exercising um, three or four times a week for one and a half to two hours, um, first thing in the morning, like again, doing that to my body as well, um, to try and cope, to look good. Okay. (laughs) Sounds extreme, doesn't
1: it? Mm. Um, uh, so back to you Sally. Um, so you're in Overeaters Anonymous. Mm. You're not feeling terribly good about yourself Mm. and having, struggling to, I guess, um, get the desired result for you. Mm. So what, what causes you to to do something different
0: yeah, sure. um, I think that I guess a few life circumstances were happening at the time i was um studying an honors that um wasn't working out for different reasons and uh, I think uh, maybe there had been a relationship breakup. It's all a bit of a blur. But um, I know that um, uh, during all that, the food, it was just so um, out of control. You know, um, I'd gotten to a point pretty much where when I felt comfortable enough to eat, when the stress and anxiety wasn't so high, I would just eat as much as I could because I was worried about the next time I wouldn't eat or wouldn't be able to eat. Um, and it was just, um, yeah, I just knew I had no control. It was everything that I constantly was thinking about and and I felt guilty as I said every single portion of food that went into my mouth I felt bad about so I was feeling emotional and I called up um I would I think I went to call a few of the normal people I might call if I wasn't feeling great and um I couldn't get on to any of them and I randomly just called this person who had been in um, Overeaters Anonymous uh, with me but um, hadn't spoken to or seen her in a, a while so, um, and shared what I was going through on the phone to her and, um, and she said, yeah, that she was going to FA and um, that, you know, did I want to come along to a meeting? And then she came and picked me up for a meeting, which, um, so funnily enough, my first meeting was the 31st of um, December, so it was like New Year's Eve no, uh, 2009, no. I think, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, mm. so what's... So, what was the difference for you between OA and FA?
0: So, for me in FA, um, there's yeah, it's just more structured, um, and you know the word abstinence is in both programs, but um, abstinence in FA is very um, sort of spelt out. Um, that the abstinence in OA, um, it's a bit more loosely based, and that just wasn't working for me at all. I needed I needed the structure, and I also required the um, the 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 sponsorship in FA was um, yeah, it was again more structured. It was sort of like in the beginning, I think every every day and for a particular period of time. And at a particular particular period of time, I would speak to my sponsor, and that was just what I needed because I needed that like full on support and also more support from my fellow members rather than just kind of calling them whenever I thought might be a good idea. Um, yeah, it was much more encouraged to speak to a certain number of members every day. And I just, yeah, it just felt it felt right. It essentially did set me free from the beginning of, of having that plan. Yeah, the food plan, the program, the whole thing.
1: Okay. So in, in FA then, so the absence is sugar, flour and yeah. excess? Is yeah,
0: that- so no sugar, no flour, um, uh, no binge foods, um, three meals a day with nothing in between. Um, I think that 's it, um, yeah. and yeah, so rather than in my, you know i can 't definitely represent OAM, but no. it was pretty much just kind of three meals a day, nothing in between and and what you think you can 't eat then just don 't have that but in um, f a e yeah, it 's more it 's measured and, and okay. weighed and things yeah okay
1: right thanks um, so justin um, so you've you 've got yourself to a point where things are starting, the stress is starting to build up to become insurmountable. So what is it that kicks you over
2: the edge? Yeah, so this is eight years ago almost. um, I was uh, in a very senior role in a large organisation, totally overwhelmed, um, managing far more than I was capable of doing, Um, married, broken marriage, um, certainly on on the edge, and had three children that... um, I was not involved with at all and not engaged with and um, so I was sitting there and i was in sitting at my desk um I looked down at my stomach and it was overhanging my belt buckle like i just I was horrified at how I looked um I'd just been to um the tailor because I wanted to get my pants my my suit pants taken out. Um, and they told me that they can't take out anymore because there's no more material, and I had to go and buy um, a suit for work that would fit me, um, and it was humiliating to go with my wife shopping for a suit. It was like... It was, it was so much despair and embarrassment in doing that. Um, and again, the backdrop is such that my wife had been doing um, the FA program for two years... So I knew exactly, and I'd been to a few meetings to support her, um, not having a problem myself. And it was kind of that point that I said, my life is so out of control here in every way. I'm not talking to my parents and my siblings. I don't want to speak to my friends. Um, I'm not engaged at home. I'm angry with people at work. The world owes me, and I'm in the worst shape I've ever been physically, and that means everything to me as well. That was the point where... Um, I had spoken to a few members in FA around the country, kind of doing a bit of a straw poll, and I remember even talking to them and saying, "You guys are just like like thinking to myself. You guys are a pack of losers. Like you, you like clearly you haven't got the strength of character that I do." Um, and it was that moment of grace. Like honestly, it was it was probably a split second of grace that I was given. Um, to sort of just see reality, like you mentioned denial before, just to see things the way they really are, to say, Adam, um, you, are, you have a problem here. Um, you've, you've actually got to let go and you've got to give this up. Um, and so I did that. Um, like I said, it was a moment of grace. Um, I've spoken to a, a, a gentleman um, in Sydney. Um, he became my first sponsor um and uh the next day i was told to go to my first meeting and um it was like walking through a brick wall to get into that meeting and i did it um and i participated in the meeting which i was very scared to do um but i did it and uh i I wouldn't say i haven't looked back um (laughs) but I've, i've kept on doing it a day at a time um because it just this means everything to me um so like I said, it was that moment of grace and powerlessness. Okay, yeah. thank you. Well, listen, we might take another break. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free
1: Show on 3CR, uh, digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Sally and Justin from Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, and we're talking about getting into food addicts and what it's, what it's like um, coming to your first meeting. So, Sally, what was it like? What sort of you 'd been you 'd been to AA, you 'd done steps you 'd gone to overeaters and noise. what was it like coming into food addicts
0: yeah, sure um, I remember being very nervous the night that I was going, um, and I remember thinking that was strange because I was very familiar with all step programs, um, but I think something inside me knew that something was going to come off like a layer of me um hopefully the last the last thing that was there to i guess block me off from the world um and yeah so that night i remember being at the meeting I, I think I may have even gotten up to read um, I don't know like, but I remember feeling really self-conscious um, which is interesting because I came in at um, 65 kilos and you know I'm 5 foot 6 I think um, and so I wasn't really um, that huge or anything and I've lost 10 kilos but um, I felt like I was you know I felt like my, yeah, my body image was very skewed. So I felt like I looked terrible and, um, yeah, and it was nerve wracking. But once I started listening to people, I just completely identified and I felt absolutely like I was in the right place. I just, yeah, there was just no question. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's all about being, feeling out of control. Mm. So did it allow you to feel as if, you know, without doing anything, that your life was a bit more under control?
0: Yeah, it made me um, – once I started doing the program, I got a sponsor that night and um, probably, yeah, started the food plan the next day. And I felt safe, I think, for one of the first times in such a long time. I didn't feel safe um, on my own trying to manage food and life. And um, I did feel very out of control and I felt like I was in danger a lot of the time. So it was the, it was the first time I was actually just really – I felt like I was in the right place and like everything was going to be okay. Yeah, and that structure really made me feel – yeah, just, like, safe and free, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think the other thing you mentioned to me before was the transparency. So what did that mean for you?
0: Mm. So then, yeah, talking to my sponsor, you know, um, seven days a week, um, you know, and, and, you know, not for a lengthy period of time, but I, you know, I was nervous about that. I didn't want to open up to somebody. I felt like, a um, you know, a mollusk or something in a shell, and I didn't want to come out. And um, And I just i I slowly did um it did make me want to leave the program initially a couple of times just because I d- didn't want to be exposed you know and um but thank you God, you know the person who' led me to the program uh encouraged me lightly and kindly to uh stick stick by stick with it and um and I did and uh yeah and gradually through again i guess doing doing the steps and being in the meetings and everything. Um, just able to let down my guard and and uh, learn more about myself and God. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's that bit about sharing yourself, sharing your you know, your lowest, you know, your weakest point with someone else. I think that's the strength. And I've often heard in 12th in Step that your weakness becomes your strength because it's no longer something you're trying to suppress mm. and keep down, yeah. yeah. Um, so, Justin... You got into FA um, through various means, um, and what did you? What was your initial thought about what AA, uh, what NA, um, what FA could do for you?
2: Um, Well, I I had that um, the backdrop of my wife having had done it for two years, and uh, certainly getting physical recovery and watching. So emotional and spiritual recovery take place so i knew i knew what it was going to do for me um i just took me so long to think that i just wasn't special okay um, yeah. that, that actually i was i actually had a problem um that needed needed sorting out and that i couldn't do it anymore so for me a bit like what Sally was saying it was um the ability to just be really transparent and really open and vulnerable which goes against the grain of the way I've been brought up to think that your mind is so powerful you can get through anything yeah. like with your through your mind and your own, your own power and letting go and feeling open and vulnerable um, in front of people um, with a sponsor with fellows um, it's really nerve-wracking it's really scary but it's what I need because that's the stuff that I used to consi- like hide. I just, I just put my head in the sand, um, and I'd eat, I'd eat through it, right? And it would go away, seemingly go away, but it actually didn't go away. So in this program, what I knew was that if I was able to be courageous enough, vulnerable enough, and speak from the heart enough, that I'm actually going to get well long term. Um, these massive character defects that I have. Still, um, that are dissipating slowly. Um, that they they will be taken care of, um, but it requires rigorous honesty and it requires a real commitment to deal with a food addiction. Which is, you know, we have to consume our drug three times a day.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> yes, you can't you can't avoid it. Can no. you no, no. no? So one other question I was going to ask was um, the fellowship in food addicts. Um, I think you mentioned earlier to me that there's a lot of women. So what's it like being a man in a sort of a, an organisation that has a bit of a focus on body shape and size that
2: is not a particularly manly issue? Um, it's, it was a challenge to start with. And, and one of the things, I had been to a few meetings beforehand and it was that whole arrogance was, hold on, I'm a male and you're a female. And it was even more condemning. I'm a male a very important corporate executive, (laughs) and you are an elderly housewife. What would you know about what I'm going through? So it was really damning and condemning. Um, And again, it's that moment of grace that I was given of humility to actually learn that um, if I just shut up and listen, so to speak, to what these housewives are actually saying, um, I might actually learn something. And um, we don't get to share... Um, um, in a meeting, an FA meeting for 90 days. And for me, that's like the greatest gift that I was given <laughs> that I just had to literally shut up and listen to what I, what, what was being shared. And I heard my story being told by housewives, young females, older females, corporate females. Like I heard my story from everybody and there were a couple of males around. I heard my story everywhere and um we have a global fellowship so i i'm in touch with people in australia and i'm in touch with people all around the world and probably um you know i'm happily married but i have some incredibly close relationships at a level of depth that i haven't had with any other relationships with females all around the world um and typically an older generation than me um it's quite incredible it's quite powerful
1: mm. yeah i When I came into Alan and Family Groups, um, one of the things that I noticed was that it was like having a lot of aunties Mm. who were looking after you and considering your best interest. Um, And I think that's a very powerful thing to have. A lot of people who are interested in you and your recovery, but they're not going
2: to tell you how to do it, it's up to you to find out. And and that's that's exactly my story, And, and it required me to take some risks about getting, like like Sally said before, about getting really open and vulnerable, and I think people are. I know I appreciate when someone does it with me, yeah. but people really appreciate it. And like it's that saying, "What comes from the heart touches the heart." And um, yeah, got to, the fellowship is just amazing.
1: Mm. So, Sally, what is how's how's that helped you? How's the fellowship helped you to get on with your life?
0: Yeah, um it's it's really been such an amazing process. I mean, just like what you guys have shared, that level of honesty initially is kind of scary and I definitely didn't feel like um that I had this protective layer on me anymore. And so that's kind of like digging deep and diving deep and discovering things and that can go be from talking to people or going through the steps. But I um since then, yeah, thank you God like that I um yeah, I'm able to now I feel like I'm on the path that potentially I was created for in the sense that I um yeah, my sort of my career is going in the direction that I, you know, had planned and I'm studying um an area that I'm really interested in and Um, And it's kind of, yeah, it's all sort of moving in in the direction that I had passions for in my life but before just wasn't able to complete or follow through with because I was um, constantly interrupted, let's just say, by the disease and just managing rather than thriving.
1: Okay. So what about relationships?
0: Yeah, yeah, still working through that. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Um, hopefully, let's just say that's getting better. Um, Yeah, I mean, like I said, at least now I'm able to look at, um, yeah, look at what perhaps the problems were and things like that and, and, um, and, you know, look for a healthy relationship as opposed to the kind of things that I would fall into before without... Thinking much about, or just very unconsciously. So, but yeah, that was sort of yeah intimate relationships. But then, look, family relationships are a lot better. Um, friendships are a lot better. Um, yeah, I very much despised probably my mum and my dad in the beginning. And um, you know, and now I'm about to go on holiday literally with just my mum and my dad, uh, which is really bizarre. But um, you know, like things have changed a lot. Um, yeah, I think yeah, and and I'm really grateful for that. And I can see when issues arise, I can see them crop up, and I can work through that with my sponsor or, you know, with the steps and things like that.
1: Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think it's about respect, that once you respect other people's right to be sick or different, mm-hmm. then you, you cut them a lot of slack. Um, you don't try and control them. Um, so,
2: Justin, what about relationships for you now? Well, I think the thing that's changing the most is my relationship with me. Um, so where I came from that really self-abusive um more yeah nothing is ever enough relationship before I'm now starting to appreciate myself a whole lot more. I feel like I have a purpose in life I feel like I'm living my purpose in life um, and I've done a lot of work around that and and really that's a gift that I've been given from this program um and and because I'm starting to appreciate myself more, um, I think it's no coincidence that, um, my relationships with my wife, with my four children, um, with my parents. You know, my, my mother is, is suffering, a, suffering a, a serious illness. And just to be able to be there for my mother and accept her for where she's at um, and my father and how he's dealing with it and my siblings and how they're dealing with it, to really just to be there and support them and meet them where they're at, is something that I could never have done before. I would have tried to control the situation. and would have brought intensity to the situation. Um, And that's the way all my relationships were. Unless I had the upper hand, I didn't want that relationship. Um, So I'm happy to not have the upper hand anymore. I'm happy just to be um, a good, solid citizen and a contributor rather than the controller. It's far more like it's far more relieving and less of a burden to do that, and it's more enjoyable too. Yeah, it
1: certainly is. It takes the pressure right off. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, listen. Um, if you'd like to find out more about food addicts in recovery anonymous, then you can call them on 03 8594 2282 or you can go online at www.foodaddicts.org. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Sally and Justin for coming to the 3CR studio and sharing their Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous experience with us. Thank you. Thanks for having thank you. us.
0: Thanks.
1: Um, I hope you're about to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we will be joined by some members of Al-Anon family groups. Uh, unfortunately, um, Black Noise Radio can't be live today, but we've queued up a collection of items for the show. So thanks for listening to the Living Free program.